When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last week, I predicted that teams would freeze and not be able to handle the pressure, but I didn't predict that Arkansas would actually freeze their field. We've got so much to get into here on the Week 11 recap of the Three Technique, the college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's, along with Trey Reeves. I'm Mitch Mason. If you are watching us on YouTube, we've got a little bit different of a studio today. Trey and I are recording this on location. We're watching a little NFL football and decided, you know what, let's just record the podcast here. So Trey, how are you doing? Doing great. It's been a great day, uh, other than our NFL team of choice <laughs> finding a new way to lose for the first time in franchise yeah, history. Historic but way to lose. Uh, other than that, you know, great to have you over. Great to have you um, in the same room as we do this show this yeah. week. Yeah, looking forward to it. Should be an interesting experience. Uh, Garrett will be back with us, we hope. Uh, for the next episode, a little under the weather, so certainly hoping he can recover quickly. Trey, week 11, we wondered if there would be teams that didn't uh, execute, couldn't rise to the pressure of a variety of game situations, and for the most part, chalk held. Now, there are a couple of upsets, games that have postseason implications that we'll get into throughout the show uh, but I think first we have to start um, with TCU. TCU yeah. goes into Austin, and that this ties into our question of the day. Does TCU go all the way? It's as simple as that. That's really what I want to kind of dive into here off, this, off the top of the show. I want to break down TCU. Texas, you had predicted that no team would finish the season undefeated. Maybe that could still hold true. I will say TCU passed a huge test against Texas on Saturday night. Yeah, I think regular season-wise, I think that TCU has a very clear path. It's at Baylor, at home against Iowa State in the regular season. And that Baylor game's tricky. I think their early lines show that they're only favored by three points. Mm -hmm. So you know Baylor would love to really get some revenge from last season where – the Frogs knocked the Bears out of the playoff picture um, in late in the season. So that's going to be a really tricky game, a really tricky rivalry game. But I think TCU has the horses, and I think TCU has the players to really make that run. And now whoever they draw in the Big 12 championship game, that's the wild card, right? Because sure. they could face the same Texas Longhorns team whose defense surprisingly gave them fits last night. Yeah. And if Quinn's on and the offense is actually humming, that's a completely different game. So. 
that's always a wild card when you're coming out of the Big 12. It's really difficult to beat a team twice. Just ask mm-hmm. Alabama last year. Just ask Georgia, who eventually won the national championship. Really, really difficult to beat a team twice. But I like TCU's chances. It's, it's funny. Like I have, I have a lot of family that are TCU fans. We had that on at a family gathering last night. And they're ecstatic with the win. But three or four of them that know that we have this podcast came up to me and were like, man... I just feel like even if we go 13-0, even if we go undefeated, that Tennessee's going to be right there or USC and the committee's just going to say something like, well, they're playing really good football and TCU wasn't <laughs> convincing. and TCU trailed. They're oh. just they're just shell-shocked, man. Yeah. Like Those guys are fired up for this season. They love that their Frogs are doing so well, but they are just terrified <laughs> of what the committee is going to do to find a way to keep them out of the playoffs. So. Frog fans, rest assured, if you go 13-0, you will be in the playoff. I, yeah. You have my guarantee. I know I've been wrong on a lot of stuff on this show before, but I feel confident saying if you go 13-0, you will be in the playoff. It's hard to blame them about being nervous, not only because this is a historic moment for the school and for the football program, but also because this playoff committee specifically has had us scratching our head. We're only two full uh, weeks in of playoff rankings, right? I mean, they refuse to recognize one of your teams that you've been advocating for in, in North Carolina. Yeah. They have one loss. The AP poll won't even put them in the top 10. They have one loss. They're still very much alive for the playoff discussion, or at least they should be. And yet here we are. They're not even ranked inside the top 10. So I, I can certainly sympathize that the, the pressure of the moment, the weight of the moment, is certainly something to be nervous about. But yeah, like Trey's saying, if you go 13-0, and TCU is a lock to be in the playoff. And it's not going to be at the four seed, I, I wouldn't think. No, I think it's I probably think so. probably the three seed uh, at, at the lowest. But we'll, we'll talk about all of that. I want to break down the Texas game. You know, My notes start with, we, we have to face the reality that TCU is 10-0. and Like That is yeah. a real thing. Again, going back to the preseason predictions, I didn't even have them making a bowl game. I don't think any of us no. had we, them we making had them a bowl game. At the bottom, competing with Iowa State for yeah. bottom of the barrel in West Virginia. Yeah, so uh, for sure, mea culpa on, on our part. Let's dive into the breakdown, though. This was, and you watched this game from beginning to end, a defensive slug match. We, we kind of thought maybe it might be the opposite. TCU has been playing in a lot of barn burners. Texas's offense has garnered most of the high praise, not the defense. And yet TCU only had 283 yards of total offense. Texas's offense, meanwhile, never found the end zone. What were your main takeaways from this game? And, you know, as TCU charts their way towards a playoff, what are those qualities that you think are top four worthy? Yeah, I think we thought that going in that this was going to be a battle of quarterbacks. Whichever quarterback made fewer mistakes was going to ultimately lead his team to victory in this game. And to a point, that was right. But really, the story of this game was the defenses, and in particular, the defensive lines, just absolutely dominating, causing both quarterbacks, Max Duggan and Quinn Ewers, to just have uh, a really, really bad day throwing the football and uh, staying under control back there. So... Lots of pressure from both defenses. Both defensive coordinators, I thought, called amazing games. And both quarterbacks missed opportunities. Now, yeah. Quinn Ewers missed more opportunities than Max Duggan did, and I think that ultimately decided the game. And really the conversation that I was having during that game with a lot of uh, – it was a very pro-TCU crowd that I was watching the game with. But the conversation we were having was, you know, 
there's two outcomes on a play for Texas on not what seemed like 95% of their snaps that they dropped back. And that was outcome number one, TCU's defense just gets a ton of pressure in the backfield, making it really, really difficult on Quinn to make any reads or make any throws on time. And outcome number two was Quinn has time, but he overthrows a receiver by 10 yards. And that's just an awful combination. He missed his first seven throws. He started over seven, uh, threw a really bad interception um, when it seemed like Texas was about to grab the momentum after they got a big stop on TCU. I think a fourth down stop, and then they immediately followed that up with an interception. So just couldn't get their feet under him. And we, we give Sarkeesian a lot of praise for the way that he calls games, but I was really disappointed in the amount of touches that Bijan Robinson got last night. 12 touches. Yeah. Um, they targeted him a couple times in the passing game, I believe. He didn't register a reception, but just 12 carries. He wasn't effective on those carries. TCU did a great job keying in on him and taking him away, but Bijan's a guy that feeds off of volume, right? Yeah. You, you, how many times have we seen him really struggle through the first 12 to 15 carries, and then carries 16 through 20 are, you know, 20 yards a pop and maybe a couple touchdowns. So I was really disappointed that T, uh, Texas didn't get try to get that ground game going especially when it's another night that Quinn Ewers is sub 50% on his passing and just couldn't get anything going. Even when he had time, he was really struggling to find receivers. So back on TCU though, I mean, we always say talk about the team that won the game, but Mm -hmm. TCU struggled offensively credit to the Texas defense for once again, holding a really quality opponent to a low output at home. That defense plays just completely different at home versus on the road. But Credit Texas for doing that. TCU really struggled to get things going until uh, Kendra Miller really took over that game in the second half with a couple just really long runs. So TCU made more plays. I like the pieces that they have. It seems like they are more willing to go to the ground game when that air attack isn't working, and that's ultimately what won them the game tonight and what's ultimately gave them a little cushion when they finally did make a, a big mistake and give up that uh, defensive touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, for Texas, the offense just, as you talked about, struggled to get going all night long. Quinn Ewers, 17 of 39, 171 yards, just 4.4 average pass, uh, and through one interception, did not throw a touchdown. QBR of just 21. And then the running game, Texas has imposed their will on the ground all season long. They had 28 yards as a team rushing against TCU. You know, when we watched TCU back at the very beginning of the season playing SMU, it was a situation where nobody really played defense. And we thought, okay, well, TCU has an explosive offense this year. That's great. They're going to be fun to watch. But they've been able to, week in, week out, find opportune moments to score a lot of points on offense or control the narrative on defense. I don't know that other than maybe the Oklahoma game, they put both together in a single game. And that may be what ultimately hurts TCU in their effort to go undefeated in their effort to get to the playoff. I, I don't know, but last night their offense really struggled. They, they got over a third of those yards on two, two drives in the second half. Uh, so it was not a consistent, you know, yards per play, even to get that 283. It was a, just a, a stalemate for the majority of that game. Uh, but the fact that TCU on the road in a raucous environment with all the pressure on them and the biggest chance to freeze up to not be able to handle that moment, uh, they did. And they, they found a way to win. And you know what? It wasn't pretty, but you got to win those games that you don't uh, necessarily talk about in glowing reviews when it comes to film study the next week. 
They're ten and zero. Texas now drops to uh, what is it six, six and four. Their fourth loss. I know Texas Twitter is really upset about some of the play calling from Steve Sarkeesian, uh, but at the end of the day, you know this is this was TCU's game. This is TCU's season, and they have now locked in their bid to the Big Twelve Championship game. We're still waiting on the second bid to Dallas. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later on. But before we wrap up this game and move on, any other final thoughts on TCU Texas? I mean, overall. TCU just looked like the better team. They looked yep. like the more prepared team. It looked like the moment was just a little bit too big for Quinn Ewers and the 2022 Texas Longhorns. Now, will that help them in the future? I think if you're a Texas fan, you sure hope so. But the questions are really starting to emerge about Quinn Ewers' ability to handle pressure and if the game is moving just a little bit too fast for him at this point. I think we have enough data now to see that you know, Quinn's not quite ready to be the guy to lead that program. So it'll be really interesting to see as you go into fall camp of 2023. I know still got plenty of season to play. It's plenty yeah. of time for Quinn to, to prove himself, but he's got Arch Manning waiting in the wings uh, sure. for 2023. So it could be an interesting QB situation. But again, TCU looked like the better team. They looked more prepared. Uh, Sonny Dykes outcoached Steve Sarkeesian, I yeah. thought, especially in that second half of just weathering that storm and waiting for that final uh, opportunity to really make the mark in the ground game. I, I will say for Quinn Ewers, you know, to expect him to come in and, and just be this world beater in year one, he hasn't really played football in two years, right? right? Opted yeah. out of his senior year, did not play uh, in, in his first season at Ohio State. So this is truly the first time he's consistently played competitive games in, in over two years. And so I think for Texas fans that are, you know, calling for him to be benched, Maybe pump the brakes a little bit on that. For uh, sure. it, you're right. The moment is too big for him right now. I think he's shown flashes of what he can be next year and the rest of his career, but uh, not getting the job done this year. One final note on Texas's defense. If you've heard about the Longhorns in their games this year, it's typically been praising the offense, but drawing attention to their defense, they've held Alabama, TCU, and UTSA, who are three of the top 15 offenses statistically in the country, they held all of them to 20 points or less. So Texas's defense certainly moving in the right direction. That was the biggest question that we had about the Longhorns coming in this season, and they certainly seem to have started to right some of those errors. So Texas in 2023 and beyond, I've got to say stock up. I know this is a frustrating season for Longhorns fans. You feel like you're a couple of plays away from having one or two losses even, uh, and that's not how it's gone. But I think there are plenty of things to look forward to going into 2023. Uh, as we move into our playoff contenders segment, breaking down what happened on Saturday for those teams who are still in the playoffs. And I want to get to an ESPN article that we can kind of have guide our discussion. Do want to remind you, if you are not already following the show on social media, please head on over to at three tech pod on Instagram and Twitter and do so helps us continue to grow, helps us continue to know exactly what you guys are looking for as we head towards the end of the season, postseason content, and then ultimately the offseason as well. We want to do what entertains you guys and know which teams you support, what you would like to hear us talk about on the show. Easiest way to do that is through our social media. As I mentioned off the top, we're also on YouTube. The 3 Technique on YouTube is where you can find us. We have all these shows live recorded, so if you want to go watch the VOD, you're able to do so if you're also listening to this on, on podcast form. Uh, you get to do that as well. Please uh, subscribe, leave us a rating, 
as well. I noticed our ratings were taking a, a massive jump on Spotify as far as how many people were rating us five stars. So thank you if you've done that. If you haven't, just swing on over and help us continue to grow the show. But let's get into the playoff contenders. And, and Trey, I've listed this out. Uh, eight teams were listed by ESPN as being still alive in the playoff race. We've got nine, and we're going to talk about a team that you have, have spent a lot of time campaigning for in North Carolina further on down the listing as we wait for the week three playoff standings. We'll react to those in Thursday's episode, but let's start with the top team in the country. Georgia blows out Mississippi State. This was a sort of close game at the half. Mississippi State was in it. They were competing. Mike Leach kind of went viral for asking the on-field reporter to comment herself on uh, maybe some bad calls from the officials. But overall, to me, the defense for Georgia looks amazing. Their offense continues to score points in bunches when they need, and they look like the consensus top team in America. Yeah, they absolutely do. And again, when you can not play your best ball on either side of the football, when it looks a little sloppy on offense at times, when you let Mike Leach's scheme get to you a little bit in the first half. They had a couple broken plays and they had a couple Mississippi state was able to put a couple drives together in the first half. Um, and you still win 45 to 19 on the road in conference. That's a sign of a very, very good football team. So defense is going to carry this team this year. I know that that was a story last year and at the start of this year, especially early on Stetson Bennett looked like he might be taking another gear, but that's just really tapered off in the last couple of weeks, especially uh, down the stretch here against Tennessee and another two interception performance against Mississippi State. So my biggest concern for Georgia, I don't think it's if, but when those turnovers start to catch up with them. Sure. Maybe that's in an SEC title. I certainly don't think it's going to be against Kentucky this week, uh, but <laughs> I, maybe it's in an SEC title game. Maybe it's in a playoff semifinal against a TCU or a Michigan, but I do think those turnovers and that sloppy play on offense is going to catch up with them, but you look up and they still scored 45 points right. on the road in a conference game. So right. it's really hard to complain about much. If you're a Georgia Bulldogs fan right now, that turnover bug is just nitpicking and you know, we'll see if that gets rectified, but the defense is elite. It doesn't seem like they've dropped off that much from last year, which is saying a lot when you think yep. about what the 2021 unit was like and yep. Yeah, here they are again, and they're poised to not only take a back-to-back national title round, but maybe even take over as the top dog in the entire nation with Alabama slipping a little bit. Yeah, that's a great point. There is a little bit of a power vacuum at the top. It seems like Georgia has stepped into that. You mentioned they have Kentucky this week. That certainly shouldn't be a great challenge after Kentucky just dropped their game to Vanderbilt. Remember when we thought that might be the... SEC East Championship game. Like yeah. that was going to be a play in game we, to Atlanta. <laughs> we did. We did indeed talk about that Woo! this, this offseason. Uh, yeah, not not happy days down uh, for, for Big Blue Nation. Um, Georgia, though, one note that I, I found while I was reading around after games Georgia very quietly, depending on where you looked, came into Saturday as the second or third top offense in America. And you're right, that's even with a couple of bad turnovers from Stetson Bennett, you're benefiting from the ability to run the ball and control the trenches and then just a variety of weapons that have stepped up this year for Georgia, right? Lad McConkey has been amazing. You've got Brock Huge Bowers. Yeah. yeah, Washington, the, the the tight end who's, you know, six foot twelve, it feels like just a massive human being. Georgia finds ways 
to get their playmakers the ball. And it's not the playmaker that you're necessarily going to see all over ESPN, right? It's not a Jalen Hyatt character, but they've got sound fundamental weapons out wide and in the backfield that are helping them put up 45 points a game. Uh, Conversely, their, their defense has just shut everybody down. And even though you're turning the football over, your defense isn't allowing an opposing offense to do anything with that extra opportunity, right? Eventually, could that bite you? Yeah, absolutely, it could. If things go differently against Tennessee and they're able to take a, uh, advantage of a turnover or two, you know, maybe we're talking about a different world here uh, in the middle of November. But that defense remains elite. They continue to get pass rush on the quarterback, even without Nolan Smith. That was a concern of mine. You lose one of your top pass rushers, one of the best pass rushers in the country for the season. And honestly, it, it looks like they haven't skipped a beat. So an impressive win against Mississippi State. You know, we know that's a that's a very solid Mississippi State team. They can put up points with the best of them, and Georgia just did not allow that to happen. Well, and what's made Mississippi State even more dangerous this year is they've been willing to commit to running the ball, and Georgia just flat out took that away early. Yeah. Yeah. It was a combination of, you know, Georgia's prowess at stopping the run but also jumping out to an early lead. But especially in the second half, Mississippi State didn't even try to run the ball. I think they mm-hmm. ended with 47 rushing yards. And Georgia does a great job of getting off the field at third down. They're one of the best in the nation at getting off the field on third down. Three for 14 for the Bulldogs tonight. So they just weren't able to keep drives together. And that really helps. Even when your offense is turning the ball over, if you're getting off the field on three and out, it doesn't really matter that much. No, it doesn't. Well, let's go ahead and move on uh, from the top team in the country. We'll package two and three together because really not much to talk about Because their seasons here. start in a week. That's that's <laughs> right. As we've been saying, it doesn't matter what happens with Ohio State and Michigan. Their one-game season is the finale in the big game. Uh, Ohio State dusts Indiana. They do cover the 40-point spread, 56-14. to 14. Michigan also covers their spread, much to my chagrin, 34-3 over Nebraska. Any thoughts from from both of these games? I mean, it truly is Ohio State, Michigan, and everyone else, and they make the rest of the Big Ten look like they're playing a different division of college football. Yeah, well said. I mean, it's <laughs> Michigan does it a different way than Ohio State does, right? And yep. Ohio State's defense has looked really, really good at times this year, but Michigan is built on defense in the run game, and Ohio State's built on just out-athleting you and – you look up and they've scored four touchdowns in, their, in four straight drives, and now all of a sudden you're down by 30 points. Yeah. So two different ways to win, both very, very effective when you have the talent that you do um, on the respective sides of the ball that Michigan and Ohio State do. But, yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting to see those two styles clash again this time in Columbus. And another weird weather week in the Big mm-hmm. Ten, and that's just what's going to happen. That's why we play these playoff games down in the south, right, in, in dome stadiums because – it can really affect, and you know, Ohio State had their weather game last week. We talked about that on the pod um, ad nauseum. But uh, Michigan had kind of had their weather game this week, and they, you know, to yeah. what Garrett would say, and I agree with him, is Michigan really committed to just running the football right at Nebraska. Nebraska couldn't do anything about it, no. so uh, they just kind of crockpotted them, turned the slow cooker on, and you know, it's a thirty-one point win in a bl- in a borderline blizzard condition. Yeah. So. Hats off to both those teams. They're taking care of business and one game season, yeah. one week away. Yeah, just low and slow, 160 degrees, low heat. Four hours later, you're you're ready to go. Um, if if they were to play this week, which obviously they're not, Michigan has Illinois. Are you taking Michigan or Ohio State? All things 
all other things equal. So yeah. neutral site, whether or not an issue, just pick me the better team on the field. We get to skip the last two weeks and just say who should be playing in C- Indianapolis. Correct. And we correct. put it in Indianapolis. Um, man, it's really hard to say because I think Ohio State has some issues that Michigan can exploit. Mm-hmm. And whether or not they'll be able to exploit them consistently like they did last year, um, it remains to be seen. I think all things being equal in 2022, I want to roll with the explosive offense, but you know, Blake Corum can make that game a problem. He can shorten that game. If he's ripping off eight or nine yards per carry, even just a couple drives, that can mm-hmm. really change the game for Michigan mm-hmm. and flip that game on its head. So tentatively Ohio state, I still think that they are, just by a hair, the better team. And of course, in real life, they get them at home and that could be the equalizer here. Sure. But uh, yeah, I think all things being equal, I'd go Ohio State just barely. I think I'll take Michigan in this scenario mainly because of what you said with Blake Corum, the ability for Michigan to take the air out of the ball, but also Ohio State now truly does not have a running game. Trayvon yeah, Henderson true. has been hurt the last couple of weeks. They just lost Mayan Williams potentially for the year. It looked like, at the very least, a dislocated ankle against Indiana. You could definitely see that it was a somewhat severe injury, was not able to put any weight on it. And so, in that sense, if C.J. Stroud is affected by Michigan's pass rush, which we talked about, I can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, even with uh, non-brand-name pass rushers to the country, right, like an Aiden Hutchinson or a Rashawn Gary, they're able to affect the quarterback – that's the one thing that C.J. Stroud has never proven he can handle in his yeah. collegiate career. You get in his face, you affect the pocket, and he is not a Heisman-caliber quarterback. Yeah, we Mi- saw that with Penn State just two weeks ago. Very true. So yeah. in that sense, I do wonder if if it is the C.J. Stroud show. And look, him throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr., that's a cheat code. That can beat 99% of the teams. But as you've kept saying, Michigan may be engineered specifically to beat this Ohio State team. And I wonder if that's the case two weeks from now. And that's the beauty of, you know, when you're in the, this is going to sound like I'm an SEC homer, but when you're in a conference where you can afford to do that, where mm-hmm. there are two power programs, and I know Penn State fans would take umbrage at me saying there's two power programs, but right now there's two power programs. So you can kind of recruit to beat that other power program. Yeah. And conversely, you know, in 2022 with the way that the rules are, Ohio State having five-star receivers everywhere and, you know, even with a pass rush being able to get off a quick quick hitter underneath or a slant or a screen and have a guy like Marvin Harrison just take it 70 yards himself, Sure, that's engineered to beat Michigan. So that's kind of a chess match to see, you know, who on that day makes fewer mistakes. I'm fascinated to see it. Yeah, I can't wait for that game. Uh, Always is a highlight of the Thanksgiving weekend, just a couple of weeks away. Uh, We talked about number four TCU already, so we'll move past them. TCU, uh, TCU, Tennessee, fifth-ranked team in the country, blows out Missouri. Kind of a competitive game through most of the third quarter, and then Tennessee decided to flex their muscle. Final score, 66, Missouri 24. Tennessee finishes with South Carolina and Vandy, which I believe statistically is the easiest finish in the Southeastern Conference as far as an into-conference slate. Uh, A lot of SEC teams obviously have the Cupcake Week, um, but as far as finishing out their conference slate, Tennessee feels like they're going to cruise to an 11-1 record. The question then becomes, 
how many style points does Tennessee need in order to have a chance to get into the college football playoff? They can't struggle with either South Carolina or Vandy. They can't they can't squeak out a win. They're not going to because they're not going to have a conference championship trump card. They absolutely have to take care of business in a big way these last two weeks. And you know, the biggest trump card in their pocket is, you know, they have that blowout win over LSU. I think strangely enough, do they have to be rooting for LSU to beat Georgia and kind of create just an absolute chaos situation? Yeah. Because if Georgia wins and, you know, it's chalk the rest of the way, we have Ohio State or Michigan winning the Big Ten. I think, personally, I don't think we get two Big Ten teams in. I think the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan gets in and the other one gets left out. And then we have two other one-loss conference champions Mm -hmm. or an undefeated TCU possibly. I just don't see Tennessee getting in if there's at least two one-loss conference champions. Yeah. So strangely, I think you need to root for just absolute chaos if you're Tennessee and maybe even beat LSU so you can point to that and say, hey, we beat this team that you're wanting to put in and we beat Mm -hmm. the team that beat Georgia and we beat them handily on their home field. And even then, I just really struggle to find their path in. I feel yeah. like they're going to get treated like 2020 A&M did, where we say, like, you had your shot at Georgia and you didn't get it. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I think that Tennessee right now is going to be left out in the cold. That's not the prevailing narrative, though. It seems it's like not, a lot of people no. think Tennessee kind of backdoors their way into that four spot. Well, okay, so let's loop in number six LSU beating Arkansas 13-10 to 10 because I think this is a very critical part of the narrative, right? LSU yeah. is now – the SEC West champion I, out of all the odds with Alabama beating Ole Miss late on Saturday afternoon, LSU now has secured their bid in Atlanta. So it will be Georgia against LSU for sure. We know that the prevailing narrative is that LSU obviously has to run the table, but if they do that, they are into the college football playoff and that they will be the first two loss team to get in. But to me, I still wonder if there's a reason, I think there is a reason that we haven't had a two-loss team, even if it is a conference champion, because in that world, you have a one-loss Georgia team that you're now saying you might potentially kick out to allow LSU in. For LSU, in my mind, to make it into the playoff, you need a, T- a TCU slip-up, you need a USC slip-up, uh, and I think you probably need chaos to happen in the ACC, which maybe that's just everybody running the table and UNC beating Clemson in the ACC championship. At least if you look at the rankings, the Tar Heels are not being taken seriously. And we can get into that more here at the end of, uh, at the end of this run. But for me, I still struggle to put a two loss LSU SEC champion in with the way that everyone else is playing. Yeah. It, I think it's a nightmare scenario for yeah. the committee, honestly. Like I, those guys in the Gaylord Texan, guys and girls in the Gaylord Texan are just <laughs> praying that this doesn't happen. They are praying that LSU either slips up to UAB or AM or just gets boat raced by Georgia, which could happen. honestly is probably the most likely scenario. Sure. Like on paper, the most likely scenario is that Georgia boat races LSU, but Georgia was supposed to beat Alabama last year. And yeah. I'm not equating 2022 LSU to 2021 Alabama by any means, but. You know, Georgia was favored in that Alabama game, and it was just very clear that Alabama knew they had to win to have a chance. And Georgia felt like 
they didn't necessarily have to win to get in. And I think Georgia's going to be in a similar situation where they're going to be the proverbial number one all year. They already have the Tennessee win in their back pocket. They already have an undefeated regular season, assuming that they take care of business against Kentucky and Georgia Tech. But they have to – you'd have to find a really weird, you know, take to keep Georgia out even if they lose to LSU. So – that's the nightmare scenario for the selection committee. I think you would see in that scenario where LSU takes out Georgia and finishes 11-2, and two, I think you would see Ohio State 1, TCU 2, Georgia 3, and LSU number 4, if mm-hmm. TCU is able to finish undefeated. And in that scenario, because you have a two-loss SEC champion potentially given preferential treatment and, and not – not unwarranted, right? Not on an unmerited basis. LSU has had an incredible run since getting the doors blown off at Tennessee. To win the SEC West truly is the hardest challenge right now in college football. But in that scenario, you're leaving out potentially a one-loss Pac-12 champion in USC. You're leaving potentially a one-loss ACC champion in, in Clemson or in North Carolina out. And to me, that's more evidence for the expanded playoff. I was just going to say, it's almost like we should expand this it's, thing. It's, huh? <laughs> it's almost like there need to be a couple more seats at the table because in my mind, you can't tell me that a one-loss USC team or a one-loss ACC championship uh, winner does not have some claim to the throne of the best team in college football. Are they the best team in college football? No, not even close. But do they deserve to compete for that merit? Absolutely. And and for me, for the anti-expansion crowd to say, well, then you shouldn't have slipped up. You shouldn't have lost that one game wherever you did in your season. Going 12-0 and is so incredibly difficult. And if we are only considering the teams that somehow managed to go 12-0 and or we're relying on a committee to weigh one-loss teams against each other and leave the others out in the cold, to me, that just screams for a little bit more inclusion. Just expand it by... From four to twelve, I think that's a great number, and I say let the let the games decide themselves on the field at that. Yeah, point. let them figure it out on the field, and you know the argument obviously is well they had their chance on the field, but let them have let them have it when the stakes are really real because yeah. this LSU team I know they struck we haven't even talked about the game with yeah. LSU and Arkansas yet, <laughs> yeah. but we can get into that. But you know this LSU team right now I know they struggled against Arkansas, but. They probably don't lose that game in the Superdome to Florida State, right? I know Florida State has had a really good season. Yes, they have. They've had it. Hats off to you. Thank but you. Um, I don't think that this LSU team right now loses in the Superdome to Florida State. And yeah. you're allowed to improve over the course of the season. And so, yeah, we can get into the LSU-Arkansas game because it was icy, you know, for whatever reason, the Arkansas grounds crew <laughs> decided to um, spray down the field when it was still 28 degrees out yeah. and the sun hadn't come up yet to try to get rid of the ice. I don't know if they teach chemistry or physics in Arkansas, yeah. but apparently they didn't know that ice is just frozen water and the freezing point <laughs> is 32 degrees. Um, so that made it for a really interesting situation. And at the start of that game, it was just ugly. It like was. it was, you know just not anything that anyone should subject themselves to watching in that first half. You get KJ Jefferson out at the last minute, Malik Hornsby coming in and just, he really struggled to move the ball. They didn't move the ball until um, the third string came in for Arkansas. So Fortin. Yeah. Cade Fortin. So 
it, it was an ugly game. Harold Perkins really took it over. I saw Greg McElroy is trying to throw Harold Perkins' name in the Heisman conversation late, which might be a little bit of a step too far for the freshman linebacker, but he absolutely almost single-handedly won that game for he LSU. Yep. And that's a huge weapon to have, and a lot of other programs would love to have him and have his services at this point. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's talent all over the field for LSU, and they've got a quarterback that, for a couple of weeks was single-handedly winning them games. And now they've got their defense humming. Yeah. I think that they would deserve, if they somehow go 11 and two with a, the best win in the season up to that point, knocking off Georgia would be the best win mm-hmm. of the college football season up to that point. And I, they would deserve a shot too. Like sure. just as much, like you can't definitively say in a vacuum that they deserve it less than a 12 and one USC or a 12 and one yeah. North Carolina or a 12 and one Clemson. So yeah, we got to expand this thing. We got to let it be decided on the field, and that's the ultimate goal. The biggest thing that that really makes me hesitant about an LSU team even competing with Georgia in an SEC championship game is what we saw unfurl on the field on Saturday against Arkansas. That Razorback pass rush dominated yeah. the LSU offensive line. Five sacks in the first half. That's an SEC record. Seven sacks for the entire game. Jaden Daniels was running for his life. I mean, he could not buy any spare time in the pocket. And that's what really hurt this LSU offense was, yeah, they can run it with John Emery, but when they weren't running it, when they got behind the chains, Daniels had no time to survey the field, to pass it downfield, to find Keyshawn Bote or any of his, Mason Taylor, his tight end. A couple LSU wide receiver drops as well. That also hurt them. And so it was an ugly 13 to 10 final. Obviously LSU's defense, Harold Perkins specifically comes up four sacks in the game for Harold Perkins could have had a fifth that was ultimately called back and forces the fumble at the end of Cade Fortin that, uh, that gives the game over to LSU. But yeah, that LSU offensive line, man, that I think could be what really holds them back. Not necessarily throughout the rest of the regular season. I don't think that they're going to lose to Texas A&M in that finale. But no. <laughs> against, no, they're not going to lose to Texas A&M. Against Georgia in that pass rush when they put just three down linemen and they bring safeties in on the blitz. Or if they go with a four or five man defensive front, I think that's going to give the Tigers a lot of fits offensively. Yeah, yeah and the mo- most likely scenario is Georgia just takes care of business. And then this is all a moot point, but... For anyone that would tell you that LSU is not alive for the playoff, they're not paying attention to how this college football landscape is unfolding because they're essentially three wins away from earning their spot. Sure. Uh, number seven, USC blows out Colorado 55-17 on Friday night. Uh, I wrote, help me USC Trojans. You're the Pac-12's only hope after UCLA and Oregon both go down on the same night. We'll talk about those games a little bit more coming up. The only notes that I had on this, Travis Dye, the electric running back, transfer from Oregon, who had been doing really good things for the Trojans this year. He leaves uh, and is done for the year, lower leg injury. Probably, I believe it's a broken leg. Um, So he's done for the year. That's a huge blow to the Trojans' offense. And they have their game against UCLA coming up. Should have been probably game day going there. Game day would have loved to go to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, you had noted, but UCLA losing, which we'll talk about in a minute, to Arizona blows up that plan. So truly, USC is the Pac-12's only hope. And as as we keep breaking down, it really feels like an outside shot even. Even if they do have one loss and win the Pac-12 championship, how do you put USC in over a one-loss 
whether it's Ohio State or Michigan or TCU or a, a Tennessee team if LSU backs up to three losses. And that's even without considering the ACC champion, which could be Clemson or North Carolina. Yeah, and I think this is why USC feels like they need to leave the Pac-12, yeah. right? Because yeah. they, in their best year, probably since Pete Carroll left, they now have a Pac-12 problem where if UCLA and Oregon could have just taken care of business last night, that, their resume all of a sudden looks a lot better if they get through at 12-1. and one. They mm-hmm. can knock off a one-loss UCLA team. They can knock off a one-loss Oregon team. And now that resume looks really strong and actually comparable to maybe even a two-loss SEC champion. But those wins, those possible wins, and you know we're still putting the cart way ahead of their horse with USC's defense. But those even possible wins have already lost so much luster that it's going to be so hard for them to break down that door to the college football playoff. Now the future still looks really, really bright for Lincoln Riley out there and the recruiting has been good and the transfer portal talent has obviously been amazing. But yeah, if you're looking for a year one playoff berth, the chances, even with the USC win, and even with their chances of winning the PAC 12, probably going up, I think their chances of making the playoff went down yeah. this weekend. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, it's a tough spot to be in for USC, and I, I think uh, you hit it right on the head. They're excited to get to the Big Ten and have a, a conference that can actually compete and and have a chance to make the playoff every single year. Well, you drop them in the Big Ten this year, and they're playing Ohio State or Michigan, the winner of Ohio State or Michigan in Indianapolis in a play-in <laughs> game, right? Like it, it, People want to question, oh, you live where – uh, regional rivalries behind it. We had a whole podcast on that, and like, we did. but just from a business sense for the school, it's better for them to be in the Big Ten where they can have more exposure and have a more clear shot to the playoff. I will say that assumes one very, very big thing: that's that USC would have survived the shadow run. That's this true. Year. That's very true. Which, as we've seen, <laughs> Illinois. Looking at you, <sighs> losing to the spoiler makers this week. Nobody survives the shadow realm. Four way tie at four and three, where oh. no one controls their own destiny. Yeah, it's, no, I didn't know that was possible. How does no one control their own destiny? But here we are. It's disgusting. We'll we'll talk about that more. I think on the preview show for week twelve because there are a couple of those matchups coming up that that are absolutely critical. I think it's Minnesota and Iowa that get ready to play this week. Two of those teams suddenly are right there in the thick of it uh, against all the odds. Uh, let's wrap up the playoff segment with eight and currently ranked number 13, which we both think is ludicrous. Criminal. Number eight, Clemson beats Louisville 31-16. They've already clinched the Atlantic, and they will meet UNC, who has clinched the Coastal in the ACC championship game. What is more notable here, outside of Will Shipley taking over against Louisville, winning them that game single-handedly, I think you and I both agree that's how Clemson has to win, right? Yeah, On the ground. Absolutely. UNC, they do struggle with Wake Forest. And I was right to lean into this weird line, right? It was strangely close. Wake barely covers. It was a backdoor cover, no less. Uh, but UNC does win 36-34. The Associated Press refuses to acknowledge UNC as a one-loss squad. They've ranked them at 13. We don't know where the playoff rankings are going to go, but even in journalists that I respect and in a lot of writers, their personal rankings, the highest that I've seen them at is number 11, which, again, I can't wrap my head around because they are a one-loss team. You look at some of their numbers. Drake May is in the Heisman contention. Uh, across a lot of Heisman odds, he's inside the top four 
as high as number two, depending where on where you look, 3,400 yards, 584 yards rushing. Those are both obviously good for the team lead. 34 touchdowns, just three interceptions. He's not turning the football over. North Carolina isn't turning the football over. I know the defense isn't anything to, to take home to your parents, but at the same time, they're playing winning football, and for them to not be even considered inside the top 10 is, as you described, criminal. Yeah, and the reason they're not considered just to play devil's advocate is their schedule has been just absolutely horrendous, and that's not their fault. They can't control what division they're in, and next year, again, we talk about how we're rectifying these things in the future. Next year, the ACC is scrapping divisions, and they will have mercifully a better opportunity. The Coastal's going bye-bye, thankfully, and they'll have a better opportunity to play more of these ranked teams in the ACC, but man... When you compare their schedule side by side and think about the teams that they played, there were comparable schedules that one loss Clemson teams played and yeah. got into the playoff. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of questions about that Clemson uh, team getting in the playoff. And it's so hard in this four team system for new blood to break in. Yeah. And I think that's why we would both consider ourselves, and Garrett as well, would consider ourselves expansionists because. We want the new blood to have a shot. Even if they get blown out by 50 points, that's better than not having a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. So it's so hard in a four-team playoff for the new blood to get a shot. And, you know, next week they would have a chance to get their first win, ranked win against NC State, but NC State goes and blows it against Boston College, and they're probably going to drop. I don't know if they'll drop all the way out of the playoff top 25, but that's a they'll, bad loss. they'll certainly, if they lose to North Carolina this week, then they'll certainly drop out of the playoff top yeah. 25. So um, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. That's Thanksgiving week. But it's 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 not their fault that their conference games uh, ended up not being who they thought they were because their out-of-conference wasn't bad. It was App State, a plucky Georgia State team, both of those teams on the road, and a top 20 Notre Dame who gave them their only loss. So mm-hmm. I'm advocating for North Carolina to at least get a – sliver of a chance a a sliver of a mention like put them in the top 10 this week they weren't even in that espn article that i've based this segment off of for no. reference clemson was where the playoff contenders quote unquote stopped unc has as good if not a better resume than clemson I, although i maybe you could say that clemson has a better quality win quote unquote although hey they, they both lost to notre dame they do hold that in common is unc's best win over duke I think so. Oh yeah, Duke, Duke, or I think this Wake Forest win yesterday yeah. was probably um, as good of a win as the Duke win. But yeah, I mean, the Duke win's a good win. That's an eight-win football club. Like, <laughs> I don't know how many eight-win teams Michigan has beaten. Oh, their strength of schedule is brutal. Like, yeah. North Carolina played a better non-conference schedule than Michigan did. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know, like, why we have these double standards for teams. And I don't know why we're treating North Carolina like they're a G5 team. I know we're it, treating them like they're playing a G five schedule when like the teams that they're playing are power five teams that have really good athletes, even if their records don't show it, even if they're beating each other up because that's what the ACC coastal does. They're playing really good teams with good athletes. They're not playing, they're not getting a game against South Florida yep. or um, I, I don't know who else I want to throw under the bus, but they're not they're not getting a game against a really bad team in their conference. They're sure. just tanking their strength of schedule. So it doesn't make any sense to me. I agree. I, I would love to see some of this get fixed this week. Probably won't. 
but anyway, there's there's our case for for North Carolina. The one bright side is we could see an Orange Bowl between North Carolina and Tennessee, and that would be good regional game. Must see TV yeah. for me in the, around the New Year's yeah. holiday. Two two explosive offenses, two teams that at least consistently don't play any defense. So yeah, I, I would sign up for that as well. Yeah. All right, three other games that we wanted to call your attention to have massive implications for the rest of the season for different uh, different variations. Let's start with up in the Pac-12. I mean, Q in the arms of the Angel. Uh, Oregon drops a heartbreaker at home to the Washington Huskies. I had said we, we had a fan DM us this week and asked if Oregon still had a shot at the playoff, or if if TCU were to drop out of the playoff, who would be that next team in? And I actually said Oregon, with a win over Washington, in my mind, had the best claim to that fourth seed. Well, they didn't even beat Washington. It was a great game. Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, had a quarterback off, and it was fun to watch. But ultimately, a play that left us both scratching our heads, fourth and one for Oregon inside their own territory it was inside their own 40 I yeah believe. i'm pulling it up exactly where it was right now but it was it was deep in their own territory at tie their, ball game at their own 34 yeah at yeah. their at their own 34 they go for it running back slips on damp turf washington gets the ball they kick a, a chip shot field goal uh to at that time take the lead bo nicks had what 40 seconds left and yeah. they can't get it done so washington knocks out oregon they're no longer in postseason or in playoff contention i should say I was more impressed with how Washington stood up to the test. That's a big rivalry game. Michael Penix Jr. in his first and only taste of that game, 408 yards passing, two touchdowns to lead the Huskies to a victory. I love that Washington team. I think Kalen DeBoer has done great things in year one. Remember, that was a Jimmy Lake squad a year ago. They couldn't even score the football. Yeah. They couldn't score. They couldn't stop anybody. What they go, three and nine last year? Yeah, it was something yeah. horrific. They lose to, what, Montana? Mm-hmm. Uh, they've completely flipped the script. I love this Washington Huskies team. I do too. They're a lot of fun to watch. This is who we thought they were <laughs> after they just shellacked Michigan State um, early on in the year. And obviously, that proved to be a fraudulent team that they beat, but. This is what they're capable of with the offense, and I think under Kalen DeBoer, you're going to see more of this. Yeah. And in whatever the Pac-12 decides to look like or whatever the future holds for Washington as a university as they figure out what conference they need to be in, I think they're in good hands, and I think they are, have a lot more exciting days ahead. And for Oregon, they do as well, but you got to be scratching your head with Dan Lanning's decision-making. Like, whoever signed off on that. If that was the offensive coordinator's call, if that was his call as the head coach, I'm not sure if I, I don't know if you've heard him take accountability for that at all. I have not. No, I haven't been looking for that. So I haven't uh, heard that either, but I don't know how you let the moment get that big where you find yourself in a situation where Washington only needs, they, they only gained eight yards on that final drive. Yeah. When you punt it away, they, you make them get 60 you know, to, to kick a field goal to beat you. And I don't know how you let that happen in the side game. Your defense hadn't played great in that one, but has been a defense that you could rely on for most of the season. So I don't know how you let that happen. And it cost you a playoff spot in year one. It cost you a shot at a playoff spot. It absolutely did. Uh, elsewhere in the Pac-12, the other team that they didn't have playoff aspirations necessarily anymore with well, their two losses. But, I, I mean, I guess they – they could. They only had one loss going into this one. Oh, you're you're right. Yeah, no, you're right. Because if they would have won out and 
Yeah, they had only lost you're to right. Utah. No, you're right. They they had they were getting slightly... Oregon. They had only lost to Oregon. Yes, yes. Yeah. They were they were getting slightly disrespected by the committee as well, lower ranking, much like UNC. Uh, UCLA, of course, the team that we're talking about, the Bruins, they drop a stunner to Arizona at home. I specifically mentioned in the preview show, you asked, should we keep eyes on this game? And I said, well, I didn't say no, but I said the upset wasn't in the cards because it wasn't in Tucson. If this was a Jed Fish special at home, maybe Arizona pulls it off, but I thought UCLA was going to win by multiple scores. Of course, Arizona wins 34-28. UCLA now eliminated from the playoff discussion. It, it, it felt like Chip Kelly was so close to, yeah. to finally climbing the mountain to for Dorian Thompson-Robinson for emerging and becoming the quarterback that I think a lot of people hoped he would be and, and making a name for UCLA. And although this is going to be a great season, a, a big-time step in the right direction for a program that has underachieved year after year after year that's called into question the priorities of their athletic department, you're going to check a lot of boxes. But to lose to Arizona in year what year two of a rebuild for yeah. Jet Fish, that one stings. To be eliminated at home from playoff contention, that that one hurts. Yeah, with everything on the line, and like I didn't even realize this happened until I woke up this yeah, morning. Because the late Fox game. It was the late Fox game. Probably not. It's it's a sleepy window. It, 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 I think it went final at like two a.m. on the East Coast. So I know a lot of people were waking up to this on Sunday morning. Just absolutely shocked, and I found out about it even when I grazed, uh, like I was laying in bed this morning. And I just flipped through scores that didn't even register <laughs> yeah. that UCLA lost. It didn't it wasn't even on my mind that they would lose this one at home with what was at stake. And so I flipped on the Andy Staples podcast this morning as I was making breakfast, and they had had to add an extra segment to their previously recorded podcast yeah. and put it at the beginning talking about this one. And that's how shocking of an upset it was, and. Like I said, I think this combined with Oregon eliminated the Pac-12. Yeah. Because even if USC goes 12-1, and one, I think it's going to be looked at with a, yeah, but the teams you beat really weren't that great. I, I, I completely agree, which is, again, unfortunate for the Conference of Champions. A lot of issues out West with both the makeup of the conference, the, the leadership, and how they've handled various aspects in the business realm, the on-field realm. It's... It's been a disaster of, of the last couple of years for the Pac-12. And yeah, USC truly is their only hope. But as Trey and I have already outlined, might need a little bit of chaos for the Trojans even to get in. Last note here before we move into some conference championship races to get everything straight in a couple of different conferences. I think we've got three that we're going to cover here. Just a public service announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, UConn is bowl eligible in the year of our Lord 2022. They upset Liberty 36-33. They were 13-point dogs yeah. going into that. A week after Liberty rolls into Arkansas and upsets the Razorbacks in Fayetteville, this was a hot Liberty team, and UConn came out, and they played some great football. Now, yeah. Liberty, Liberty, it was a back-and-forth affair. The defense for UConn on several key drives ends up standing up. They get some key turnovers. The last drive of the game, I think I heard live on College Football Blitz, they were, they were definitely making sure that we were in tune for that one. Hearing the excitement in the Husky broadcasting uh, duo was just awesome. I mean, it's, it's why we love college football. It's why that we don't necessarily have to focus on 
the top five teams every single week because these stories get missed so often on a national landscape. Jim Mora comes in after being a TV personality, and he's been retired for several years and not necessarily known for a ton of success in the college football realm, right? He comes in and he brings this UConn squad that has been the doormat of college football to bowl eligibility in year one. Truly an incredible job. And uh, we owe that man an apology. I don't oh, know if you do. recall our second ever episode. I do. Uh, I do. We have an apology episode coming up in the off season, and uh, that will be near the top of the list yeah. for me because I was personally the one driving that train. Clowning, why yeah. are we doing yeah. this, UConn? And c- credit to him, man. Like, can't say enough good things about it. Now, I will say the fact that they there were some people doing some math on Twitter, and them actually making a bowl game because as an independent, they don't have any official tie-ins is going to be kind of tough. They they might be sitting at home and maybe, I mean, I don't know the legality around this, but could we maybe call up James Madison and have them have a NCAA rules or stupid bowl in uh, Piscataway or something like that? Maybe Barstool puts that one on too. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get wild out out in Piscataway. DM us if you need some commentators. We now have, I now have experience. That's, that's right. You and I, (laughs) you and I called a Texas high school football playoff game together on, on Friday night in the Bitter, bitter as, cold yeah. as winter has officially started here. Kick your high school kids out of the press box, Duncanville. Uh, that was, yeah. It's anyway, we, we froze our tails off. But anyway, do do with that information what you will. Talk to your kids. That's right. Yeah. Uh, please, please alert the uh, the neighborhood that UConn is bowl eligible. Will they go to the postseason? Who knows? We would love to see it. Uh, all right, conference championship races. We'll end the episode with this, and then just briefly glossing over the ledger. I don't, I don't think Trey wants to spend too much time there this week. I know we get, we get, I get, I get requests in, in text. Hey, what, what were the, the ledger standings after this week when we don't mention it? So we'll, we'll get the housekeeping done at the end. Conference championship races to keep your eye on. We've got three. Let's start with the Big Twelve. TCU is in. We know this. Number four team in the country, maybe going to the playoff. They're in. They've Checked off a spot in Dallas. You can make your uh, reservations at the Omni. Kansas State should be there as well. They embarrassed Baylor this week. Yes, and, they did. And we, uh, you were on the Kansas State hype train. I was back over with the Baylor Bears saying, look, they're hot. They're scoring points. Their defense is doing good things. Let's ride with the Bears this week at home. Baylor, I stood up for you, and you lose 31-3 to in your own building. That was a tough scene. Kansas State should complete the purple – Purple out, purple rain, whatever you want to call it. Do we call this the Prince Bowl? If TCU and Kansas State might have to call his people on that, make sure that's might not have to might have sacrilegious. To, yeah, but... Might have to secure some licensing <laughs> rights there. Um, but anyway, Kansas State in the driver's seat. I think Texas technically is. I think still Texas alive. has the best shot because if Kansas State stumbles and it creates utter chaos, Texas is the only one in that next tier that has a head-head win over Kansas The the tiebreaker, yeah. I think the most likely scenario, I'm pulling up Texas' ending schedule right now. I know they played Baylor in the last week. Kansas. Kansas this week. So not the easiest close. (laughs) Um, And I don't say that sarcastically. No, historically not automatic wins over the last couple of years. Well, and Baylor's, both of them are actual good teams. Like, you know, formidable teams that could beat Texas. So, I think it's probably TCU Kansas State. I think Kansas State probably has the easiest close with West Virginia and a rivalry game with Kansas, even if they slip up. 
yeah. against Kansas. They still have the tiebreaker over yep. most of those teams. So yep. I think we're looking at a purple out of that second uh, with, you know, I'm so happy that all the conferences are moving to this model where the two top records Agreed. get this because it just creates so many more fun scenarios to follow down yeah. the stretch. Totally agree. And you know what? Apologies to the Big 12 retroactively. I think a lot of people clown the Big 12 for the one true champion well, model in the round robin. People clown them for the round robin part. Yeah. I think I think that that's clown, a clownable thing because they will not play a round robin when they add no. teams next year no. and they're actually a full-size conference. So they really have played themselves out of the playoffs several times by <laughs> forcing teams to play um, a team that they already beat. So I think that's more what we call sure. them for. Yeah. Me personally, I'll speak for myself. No, and, and you're right. You, you are right. They, they shrunk and became maybe a little bit less legitimate of a conference. But boy, the marketing folks, hat tip to you guys. You spun it the best possible way that you could. Did not have an easy job when, no. <laughs> after no, they did not. four teams had left. So. Uh, so yeah, it should be TCU. It should be Kansas State. Oklahoma State, Baylor, both technically in there as well. I think Oklahoma State statistically is now third in the conference standings, yeah. but uh, I don't think any of us actually expect the Pokes to go to Dallas just with all the injuries that they have. They were well, down. They're, they're third because they beat Texas and Baylor. Correct. On the field. On a, with a you know much healthier team, quote-unquote, still a, a walking wounded scenario, but they had more than one healthy quarterback in both of those weeks. Hey, hat tip to Oklahoma State, though. You found a way to beat Iowa State. Uh, down to like your third string, everybody they won twenty to fourteen. So good for Oklahoma State, but I don't expect to see them in Jerry World. Is Matt Campbell on the hot seat? We don't have to flesh that oh, out right now. That's but a good question. He, I think he certainly is not an attractive option on the coaching here. Everyone anymore. just assumed that he was going to get a huge job at yeah. some point. I think he missed his window. I think he did. I think he did, which is which is unfortunate. I think that may be. That, that's a great topic to talk about as we start our off-season podcast, I think, for sure. So stay tuned for that. Uh, the American, another conference to keep your eyes out for. The race for the Cotton Bowl, truly on in the American after UCF beat Tulane, which I think Garrett texted us this, sad Tulane or sad green wave noises. Yeah. Watching Tulane lose at home, that was so disappointing. But as Joseph Hoyt of the Dallas Morning News pointed out, there is now a doomsday scenario in the American that's not very likely, but it is absolutely alive. And here's the scenario. The scenario is that five teams could all tie with two losses atop the conference standings, and I'll run through it very quickly. Tulane, Cincinnati, and UCF are all 5-1 and one in conference. Houston and SMU are 4-2 and two in conference. So to get to this round-robin doomsday, here's what it needs to happen. Tulane needs to lose to SMU this week. They need to beat Cincinnati in the finale. Cincinnati needs to beat Temple, which I promise you they'll do. They need to, uh, they need to lose to Cincinnati. That's a Temple that almost beat Houston yesterday. Listen, they did. <laughs> but you're right. Cincinnati's going to beat Temple. But Cincinnati, yeah, that's that's over. Uh, UCF, they need to lose to Navy to make this situation happen. Houston is 4-2. and two. They need to win out. They need to beat East Carolina and Tulsa, which I think can happen. Although East Carolina's been salty. And then SMU needs to beat Tulane this week, and they need to beat Memphis in the finale. Now, the the points where I see this going off the rails immediately, I don't know that Tulane's going to lose to SMU, although with that offense... It's a Thursday night on a short week. It's a Thursday night on a short week. Weird, Weirder things have happened. So I could see that happening. I think Cincinnati's the better team, though, over Tulane, so I think they would get that done. 
UCF is not going to lose to Navy, so I, I, I see it kind of coming off the rails there. But Houston and SMU, I could make cases for them winning out. So it's not as crazy as you might think when you step back and initially react to it, but those couple instances, Tulane losing to SMU, I, I, I probably will pick Tulane in that, and then UCF losing to Navy. I just don't think that's going to happen. Although, shout out to the midshipmen. Salute the troops. You almost beat Notre Dame in a neutral sider this week. He gave the Fighting Irish all they could handle. In fact, I think Navy scored the last 19 points in that game. They shut the Irish out in the second half to come just a field goal shy of that upset. Yeah, and when you look at the American, I think the other wrench they could throw into the Cotton Bowl race is the top two teams are going to have to play each other again. Just like in the yeah. Big 12, yeah. we could have a Cincinnati-UCF matchup uh, rematch. We could have a Tulane-UCF rematch. We could have a three-loss team emerging from the American, and that opens the door for Coastal. Coastal. Grayson McCall got hurt uh, last week and missed the game, and that really caused some problems for that Coastal offense. But they were able to hang on and win, um, to their credit, against Georgia State, I think yeah. is who they yeah, played yeah, this down week. down in Atlanta. Yeah, and so they got a win, and they're still alive mathematically for the Cotton Bowl spot. I think you'll see them... I said this last week. I thought we would see them enter the college football playoffs on 25. <laughs> I think we actually see them enter the top 25 this week. So sure. um, they're alive for the Cotton Bowl as well, and I'd love to see the Shanties get in. Last conference to whip you around this episode. Let's go to the MAC. Maction, baby. We've we've been very friendly to our friends up north all season long. Toledo has clinched the MAC West, which is a huge credit to them. Uh, a comeback win over Ball State. That was close. Ball State, and I, I talked about this on the preview episode. It was getting ready to start, I think, as we were recording that episode. Ball State plus 11 just felt like the lock of the year to me, and indeed they do end up covering that. Toledo needs a last-minute touchdown to win that game. So the Mac West goes to Toledo. It was nice to see Daquan uh, Finn get back and be healthy. The Mac East, much more complicated, though. Ohio currently holds the lead. They're 5-1 and one in conference, and they have the tiebreaker over Buffalo, who I believe is still in second in the Mac East. Yeah. But... Ohio still has to play Ball State and Bowling Green, two very offensively competent teams that could absolutely pull the upset. So the the case for Ohio is not quite done yet. Buffalo and Bowling Green, on the other hand, they've got to win out. They must win out to have a chance. Buffalo, my goodness, my Bulls, suffered a soul-crushing loss to the chips yeah. of Central Michigan. I think I had that in the ledger. We were both on Buffalo in that game. It was an even game. It was a pick em. Come on, Buffalo. You, you, you were way out in front in the first half and then very similarly get shut down. Lou Nichols and the chips run all over you in the second half to win that. They keep the bowl eligibility hopes alive for Central Michigan uh, and Bowling Green lost to Kent State in a very head-scratching game. So it's much, much more difficult for anyone other than Ohio to get to Detroit as the East representative, but mathematically still possible. Yeah, and like I said on the previous show, I this is an amazing time of year. All these games are on Tuesday and Wednesday night. Oh, so perfect. If you need anything to do on your, you know, the week before the holiday prep and you're getting ready for cleaning the house, maybe for some relatives to start filtering in. Sure. Throw them action on, man. You will not regret. Oh, even if even if the in laws are over, throw some action on. I've done you might it. really need to. I, throw I, I, I was gonna say on. I've done it before. It's been great. Um, but yeah, uh, action's the perfect time of year, and we get Conference USA coming to yeah, that was a huge announcement coming yeah. in a couple years. 
Is it next, next year? Next year. Next year. Revamped Conference USA. We were talking about how do they stay relevant? Yeah. How do they save themselves? They added a few more teams, and we'll get to see them on Tuesday nights next year. That's right. I will add one more just fun division watch, and it's the Mountain West Mountain Division. We yep. kind of clowned on Wyoming we did. at the beginning of the year, and we dreadful. clowned on Boise State at the beginning of the year, yep. but they are playing in basically a de facto division championship game this week in Laramie. So Love it. Boise State at Wyoming might be the G5 game of the week this week. Oh, well, we'll throw it into our preview show for sure. No doubt about that. Let's wrap up with the ledger. Trey, um, the goose uh, egg see is... see you later. Yeah, yeah I'm going <laughs> to... Trey's out. The goose egg uh, goes 0-4 this week. Uh, Garrett goes, what, 2-2. Two two. I went 3-1. and one. If you are keeping track at home, which I legitimately know some of you are, Garrett lost his bet to me. He took LSU minus uh, minus three and a half. He wrote down three. It was three and a half, uh, I believe. So he loses that one. Trying to get a tie in there. Yeah. yeah. uh, No, we're not. We're not going to. We're not going (laughs) to honor that. Trey, uh, he did get the win against you, though. He took Duke minus nine and a half against Virginia Tech. Duke is the well that keeps running. They well that keeps flowing. And and I'm not exactly sure what our standings are for the preseason darlings, but Duke is helping him rack up the points. There's no doubt about that. Uh Trey, you lost both UNT plus six at UAB and San Jose State minus two and a half. Both of them got boat raised. To the Aztecs. It wasn't even close. And I you took the Aztecs, you gave me the Aztecs and I said on the show, I have no confidence here. This is not Brady Hoke's year. And yeah, San Diego State they put came up like out forty points. Yeah, they boat race. They haven't done that in like three years. No, it was it was truly a come to Jesus moment <laughs> for the Aztecs. UNT also gets blown out at UAB. We sh- I think we probably should have known that Birmingham is a weird place to play. The Blazers been a good team, not an elite team this year, but they've been a good team. Sands Bill Clark in their first year, uh, and then I won SMU minus seventeen and a half. At USF, they cover by half a point. They did. Yeah, SMU I, won by 18, mm. and it was hold on to your butts time late there <laughs> in Tampa. And then, of course, I lost. I gave Garrett the chips. They come from behind to beat my Buffalo Bulls. So that's how you, I got to 3-1. and one. Garrett 2-2. Two and two, Trey goes 0-4. Oh so. I should have kept my mouth shut about being a Bulls fan with you because you had me getting the chips eventually. That's, that's it's right. It's all good. That's right. It's I did, all good. I did make that switch late. All right, well, a packed Week 11 recap show. Week 12, we were looking at the slate. There's not eye-catching games up and down the slate, but a lot of games with postseason implications. Certainly, as you look across conference championship races, I think that's going to be the emphasis behind our midweek show coming up. Yeah, and you know it's the classic SEC November off week for a lot of teams, so... Uh, we'll we'll look into that. We'll probably maybe look at some spreads. Maybe that'll come up in the ledger or something like that. But probably not talking a lot about the SEC this week. So no. all of you that say we're too heavy on the SEC, rejoice this week because we will not be talking very much about them. Uh, and yeah, this time of year, crazy stuff always happens. We yeah. thought this week was going to be light, and it's always the quiet ones yeah. that get you. We saw the, a whole conference eliminated from playoff contention this week, <laughs> probably. So. It's always the quiet ones. They'll sneak up on you. That's right. For Trey Reeves, I'm Mitch Mason. We're glad to have had you with us for this week's Week 11 recap. Stay tuned. Much more content coming up. Week 12, right around the corner. The holidays right around the corner as well. It's the best time of the year if you are a sports fan, and we're excited to have you along with us. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Until next time, so long, everybody.